0: Hello, everyone. This is The Sexual Catholic, and I'm your host, Dr. Mark Levant. If you're interested in broadening your understanding of sexuality and or the sexuality Catholicism connection, you're in the right place. Thanks for being here today. Let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. This is the Sexual Catholic Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Mark Lavond. And welcome back to the second part of this two-part episode on sexual decision-making. In the first part, we looked at some interesting developments around the field of sexual morality. That Jesus didn't make sex a singular ethical concern. That sexual theology is in its baby stages. And that current sexual morality developed, in part, out of some generalizing or unreflective practices. With those in mind, let's look at three key concepts to help us in our sexual decision-making process in a Catholic framework. And those things are, one, an act-centered versus relational-centered morality, two, Sister Margaret Farley's seven sexual norms, and three, conscience, a big Catholic idea. Let's get into it. So first, this act-centered versus relational-centered morality, what do I mean by that? Theologians Todd Salzman and Michael Lawler wrote a book in 2008 called The Sexual Person. In it, they discussed all sorts of aspects of sexual theology and how it's developed throughout history. They outlined different ways of doing theology, but I want to focus on the act-centered morality and relational or relation-centered morality. In short, an act-centered morality says that a particular act is bad. And if you did that act, you need to go to confession. And in the past, there have been books called penitentials with each act and how many Hail Marys or Our Fathers you needed to say based on how bad it was. Uh, And when we look at just an act to decide if it's bad or not, this is considered an act-centered morality. And then there's a relation-centered morality, or the understanding that something is considered sinful or bad when it harms a relationship. Remember, right relationship? That's kind of important. More specifically, the guiding question is, what will the effects be? Will it harm a relationship with others, myself, or God? Many people were, and are, taught about sexuality in an act-centered way. Avoid doing this thing, period. And sometimes we aren't even taught this explicitly, but sometimes more implicitly, uh, where we just kind of like pick it up by watching, right? We may have just seen how people operate around sexuality uh, and we're never taught directly about it. For example, a sibling might ask a question about sex or genitals uh, and a parent just ignored them. I've now learned that you don't ask that parent about any of this. In the world of sexuality education, we call this the null curriculum, or the non-curriculum. Things we learn from specifically not being taught about it. Things we learn from seeing what others get in trouble for. No matter if we were told explicitly or not. An act-focused way of sexual decision-making is often single-layered. Uh, It doesn't wrestle with the complexities of the human person or all of the things that led up to the human person having to make a certain choice. A relation-centered approach, on the other hand, helps us understand the many components in making sexual decisions. How will doing or not doing a sexual activity impact my relationship with myself, others, or God? If I need to make a decision about dating, whether or not I should get an abortion, how I should navigate the use of birth control, my relationship to masturbation or porn, all topics of future episodes, so stay tuned. If we need to make a decision about any of those, how might it affect my relationships? No matter the situation in sexual decision-making, An act-centered approach can sometimes feel demanding, disconnected from humanity, and leading to shame and guilt. And while a relational approach may also lead to shame and guilt, because, hey, you know, anything can, we see it offers a bit of a roadmap to some of the complexities of our human relationships. And that brings us to our second point, Margaret Farley's Seven Sexual Norms. In the early 2000s, Sister of Mercy, Margaret Farley, wrote a book called Just Love that offers what she calls sexual norms or things to keep in mind when operating around sexuality. The title Just Love doesn't mean only love, uh, but rather love in the framework of justice. When something is just, it is not unjust, right? Just love. Okay, you get it now. She writes at length about how these norms or guidelines are rooted in Catholic theology and offer them up for a dialogue as something to talk more about in sexual ethics. Those seven norms are 1. Do no unjust harm. When making sexual decisions, don't harm people, first and foremost. Number 2. Free consent of partners. People should be free from pressure or coercion, and their choices should be respected. Three, mutuality. Do people have reciprocal and ongoing communication about the sexual activity? Four, equality. In power, making sure there's no disrespect for another person's personhood in a sexual interaction or another person's dignity. Five, commitment, which can mean a lot of things, but at a basic level, a commitment to not harming one's partner. Uh, A commitment to free consent, to mutuality, to equality. Are we committed to this being a positive experience for everyone? Number six, fruitfulness. Not being limited to childbearing, but referring to the fruitfulness of a relationship. Is it a nourishing relationship? Does it nourish other relationships? Provide goods, services, or beauty for others? And then number seven, social justice. Or can we, as sexual partners, take responsibility for the social aspects of the sexual decision? This could be things like pregnancy and children, but also navigating STI communication in a just way, addressing any violations in a just way, or otherwise bringing about justice in the social aspects of the sexual relationship. These norms that Farley establishes are part of this relation-centered way of trying to navigate sexual decisions in our complex human world. This gives us a few more tools than, is it about sex? If so, then don't talk about it or do it. And this is really important here. It gives us a lot more to think about. Chew on. Help us make the best decision in ways that are most in line with our values. Which brings us to our third and final piece, conscience. You may have heard conscience talked about in Catholic school or perhaps Pinocchio, but in Catholic theology, the conscience can be seen as the judgment of whether or not what I'm doing is in line with my beliefs and values, and who I want to be as a moral person. There's some other complexity here, but for the sake of our discussion, Consciences often need to be formed over the years, and this is why it is good to ask questions of morality and faith. What would be the best option here? Why do I think that's the best option? Is there perhaps a harm that I'm overlooking? Or maybe an even greater good that I didn't think about? Many of us have been asking ourselves these questions our whole lives. And as long as we keep engaging in these questions authentically, we are likely on a good track to informing and forming our consciences. But why is conscience in this discussion on sexual decision-making, Mark? Is it only so Jiminy Cricket can tell us to stop touching ourselves at night? No. The answer is no. It's an invitation to work out your own understanding of goodness in relationships. Our consciences are formed and informed by lots of things. Sometimes they might be informed by people around us, and sometimes people who wish we didn't question things. But our consciences are rooted in who we are and how we have learned to be complex humans in this world. And this isn't a uniquely Catholic idea. Catholics aren't the only people with consciences. It's simply offering the language that the church uses to discuss this stuff, right? Everyone has their own conscience, their own way of of understanding and making moral decisions. I bring this up because in Catholic teaching, the conscience is often given a place of such importance, so important that it shouldn't be violated or gone against, and it should be respected by others. I'll say that again. In the Catholic tradition, the conscience is given a place of such importance that it shouldn't be violated or gone against and should be respected by others. For example, in the Second Vatican Council, uh, there's a document called Dignitatis Humanae or the Declaration on Religious Freedom. It says in paragraph three that a person is, quote, not to be forced to act in a matter contrary to their conscience, nor, on the other hand, Are they to be restrained from acting in accordance with their conscience, especially in matters religious?" So you shouldn't be forced to act against your conscience, and you shouldn't be restrained from doing what in your conscience you feel is right. This is a core Catholic teaching about humanity that hasn't really made it into the general world of Catholic morality. Again, baby stages. In diapers, remember? The church says that a person must act in accordance with their conscience, even if it's contrary to the church. What we will have to learn in the years to come as a human society is how to respect the choices of others, or what we call moral autonomy, remember their right to make choices for themselves, while simultaneously trying to help people engage in those dialogues about what choices might be best for them. The Archbishop of Trinidad, Jason uh, Gordon, wrote an interesting piece on this. But what I think is right and wrong in relationships now is vastly different than what teenage Mark thought at age 17. Much of that development comes from very loving and patient people in my life. It comes from messy life experiences. It comes from me constantly engaging with questions, setting aside my ego and pride in some instances, and listening to others. So remember, trust your conscience It's the Catholic thing to do. Okay, quick recap. A relation-centered morality can honor the messiness of humanity more than an act-centered morality. Farley's sexual norms can help us think through sexual decisions, These norms include 1. Do no unjust harm, 2. The free consent of partners, 3. Mutuality, 4. Equality, 5. Commitment, 6. Fruitfulness, and 7. Social justice. And then trust your conscience and always continue forming it. I want to offer a quick note here for those of us who've been impacted by a Catholic morality that doesn't leave room for discussion here, people who've been harmed by some of the shame and guilt language around this. In a lot of places in Catholic culture, it is seen as mandatory to make sure you say how the church disapproves of X, Y, or Z while someone is trying to make sense of the world around them. I have been in the world of Catholic theology and ministry for almost 20 years now, And I have had people who write theology or do ministry tell me things like, it's not what you say that gets you in trouble as much as what you don't say or what you leave out. What they mean by this is that if someone dares discuss some positive aspects of sexuality without mentioning the shame or the shoulds or should nots of the church, they will get yelled at by other Catholics who want to make sure people are aware that the church is not okay with something. And for those people, the ones that yell at you for not shaming people enough, they seem to feel okay with doing this at the expense of others. They seem to be okay with doing this if people feel unwelcomed or excluded by someone or by the entire Catholic Church. A couple things about this. One, this shaming or making people feel unwelcomed is a big enough problem that it's come up in the global synod of the Catholic Church, That means Catholics all over the world recognize that specifically around sexuality uh, and sexual identity more specifically. People are being rejected and not welcomed into Catholic spaces. And the second thing about this is that this is not the place for that. Here at the Sexual Catholic, sexuality is celebrated as a gift from God in the many forms it takes, as we see in the circles of sexuality. And so is living a life where we make sexual decisions in the best way we can. Everyone in this world is made a beautiful mystery by God, and that includes our sexuality, our sexual identities, and other aspects of us as sexual beings. God looked and saw that we humans are very good. So if you've had questions about this stuff and have been met with a cold, disconnected, should or should not from those in the church, I'm sorry. Not all people in the Catholic Church know how to do pastoral care in a way that meets people where they are. And thank you for tuning in today. Okay. After all of that, I can honestly say that Catholic theology is fun. But, like, Mark, you said you were going to talk about sexuality stuff too in this podcast, not just theology. You are so right. So, lastly, What about the world of sexuality studies? What does it have to offer this discussion? Well, in my experience as a sexuality professional, I think we train people a bit better to meet people where they are when it comes to matters of sexuality than those in the religious world. Now, don't get me wrong, I've been trained by some amazing Catholics, and I personally know many priests and nuns who meet people where they are better than some sexuality professionals. And if you know these Catholics too, awesome. I'm super happy for you. I think they are really doing, literally, the Lord's work. But by and large, I'm speaking in generalizations here. I've found that there are better tools for the formation of people, or education, you know, how we train professionals. We call that formation in some circles. There's better tools for formation around sexual openness, or being able to meet people where they're at, in the field of sexuality, than I've seen employed in the Catholic world. And I really do want to lift up the people who do this well. For those Catholics who can listen to people about matters of sexuality and not bring shame, condemnation, harm, and or exclusion, thank you. Thank you so much. I have heard from a lot of the people that you talk to, and there's so much appreciation for you and your work. Thank you, really. To those non-Catholics who can do the same, meet people where they're at, thank you, too. You often give a refuge for people who have been shamed in so many other places in life, trying to talk about, ask questions about, or otherwise understand sexuality in a safe atmosphere. Thank you. And to those people, Catholics or otherwise, who have a hard time listening to others about matters of sexuality without causing harm or shaming people or excluding them, I'm sorry that this is difficult for you. It's not always easy to step outside of your own concerns or needs or judgments or insecurities. Sometimes it can feel impossible to listen to someone through a different lens. If this sounds like you, recognition is a great first step. And for the sake of right relationships, please find someone that you can direct people to if they come to ask you about sexuality. And find places or people that you can go to to learn more if you're trying to better your skills or meet people where they are. Thank you for listening, and thank you for trying. So, let's recap this two-part episode in five points. Number one, sexual theology is in its baby stages in the Catholic Church. There's a lot that theologians need to work out in how we can talk about these things and make it most relevant for us today in the 21st century. There are theologians doing that right now, and I'm super proud of them. Keep it up. Number two, shifting our mindset from an act-centered morality to a relational-centered morality can give us a great compass for making sexual decisions. Are they hurting anyone? Are we respecting everyone? Are we communicating well about our wants, needs, and intentions? Are we making sure everyone has an equal say in the interaction? The goal of right relationship is a helpful guide in this process. Number three, while sexual theology has a ways to go, you can make sexual decisions that you think are oriented toward goodness and use the outcomes to continue informing how you wanna grow as a moral person in the world. In other words, never stop growing and learning from the decisions you make. Continue developing your conscience. Number four, and if you make choices that end up hurting yourself or others, go about repairing those relationships in the best way you know how, with the tools that you have at your disposal. Seek counsel from others. Ask other people about things. Learn and listen. If they can't meet you where you are, then seek others who can. And number five, the world of sexuality studies can offer perhaps... A better model for meeting people where they are than a shame-based religious space. Catholic leadership has a wonderful opportunity to grow into embracing the pastoral practice of dialogue with those trained in sexual diversity if they hope to better minister to the beautifully mysterious sexual beings that we are today. I want to close out with this thought. A lot of people have been taught not to question church teachings. People have been told, do this and don't question it. This is known as indoctrination, when you can't question what's being taught. Indoctrination is not the exposure to new ideas, it's the inability to question what's being taught. And if this was your experience in your sexuality education, I'm sorry. This method is contrary to the way that those in the Catholic tradition are supposed to question their faith and develop their conscience. Some priests and bishops haven't really been taught about theology a whole bunch. They have, you know, some of the basic education, but there's theologians who do this as a profession, and they have a lot more theological background. And in these priests and bishops' experience of education, they might not question And sometimes they feel that that's what's important to pass on, an unquestioning faith. Sometimes these priests and bishops don't understand or appreciate the role of the theologian in the church. And what is that role? A theologian is someone who brings current questions into dialogue with history, church teaching tradition, uh, for a way of understanding what our Catholic tradition has to say about matters today in current language. And the job of the theologian is to find those nuggets of wisdom and highlight the stuff that's relevant for people today. Developing that thought. Moving it forward. That's why I love theology. We get to question and sit on the cutting edge of applying church wisdom to a whole bunch of matters in the human experience. If you feel like theology is stale or set in stone, don't worry. I assure you, there are theologians working hard to better understand how Catholic faith is truly catholic, universal, catholicos, remember, welcoming and affirming to all. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this was relatively interesting. In future episodes, we're going to start exploring various aspects of the circles of sexuality a little more in depth. And I think next episode We're going to talk a little more about touch and how life-giving it can be. Thank you all for listening to this episode. If you liked what you heard or otherwise appreciated it, please subscribe and rate the podcast. If you have other thoughts or ideas for future episodes you'd like to share, please email thesexualcatholic at gmail.com. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about the work that I do, for more information, please visit www.marklavond.com. Thank you for tuning in. I hope something in today's episode was helpful, interesting, or otherwise inspiring. Have a great day.